Listener Production. What happens when someone we love and trust shouts at us? When discipline is overly rigid or when you feel belittled or shut down? As a parent, we put a lot of thought and energy into raising our kids. But what about us? How do we raise ourselves as parents? When a child is yelled at by their parents, what it does is it destabilises their sense of psychological safety. Welcome to episode four of our special series, Parenting the Parent with Dr. Rebecca Ray, where we explore what it means to be a parent, the choices we make, the ways we cope, and how we can turn old patterns into new actions. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt and Rebecca Ray. Today, we're talking about something that can divide parents certainly divides my husband and I, and that is discipline. If your parents yelled at you, it might seem an appropriate way to raise your kid. Or maybe you find yourself doing it and then hate yourself afterwards. To help us navigate the discipline minefield, I'm joined by Dr. Rebecca Ray, a clinical psychologist, author of several books, and mum to one cheeky little boy. Hi, Beck. How are you? Hi, Chef. Let's start with parents. What's the long-term impact on adults who were yelled at by their own parents when they were growing up? When we're talking in this episode about parents who yelled, we're talking about parents who yelled regularly. So I I think it's important that we uh, kind of address human behaviour that happens one-off or even just a couple of times when there's episodes of extreme distress in the environment and that's unusual versus an environment that is characterised by yelling and other forms of discipline that are perhaps more aggressive. When we have a child who's raised in that way, you and I were raised in the 80s, so I was raised by parents who preferred an authoritarian way of approaching parenting, then what happens over time is they learn different things in the environment about safety, emotional safety specifically. So we learn as children what's safe and what's not safe based on how the environment around us is responding to our behaviour. And then as adults, we carry that into adulthood around what that means for our sense of worth as human beings. How does that impact our behaviour as an adult if that's how we were raised? Yeah, so as an adult, it can impact our behaviour in terms of sometimes it diminishes our sensitivity to loud, aggressive behaviours. Sometimes it increases our sensitivity to loud, aggressive behaviours. And then if we're adult parents, so if we distinguish between ourselves as an adult and then ourselves as an adult raised like that and we become parents, it can mean that we repeat that cycle if we don't necessarily have awareness around it um, or we're actually very sensitive to that showing up in our parenting style because it wounded us as children. Before when I said that discipline is a issue that can divide my husband and I, my husband being Daniel, It is directly related to how we were raised. Mm. So for him, he was raised with that kind of authoritarian style and he says, well, I'm fine and I'm a good person and it worked for me. So that's why he thinks it's okay to do with our kids. I'm more influenced 
probably by my job <laughs> and the fact that I know the impact that yelling has on kids, but also my parents never yelled at us. And that is where we come to loggerheads because he his evidence is that it worked and my understanding is that it's harmful. Mm. How do you look at that situation? I think it's really interesting when adults use themselves as evidence that everything's okay. Um, (laughs) I'm an adult and I'm still alive, so I'm okay. I mean, (laughs) I I shouldn't make that generalisation because maybe Daniel is thinking that emotionally he's actually fine. Um, Look, sometimes I think we're in a place where when kids are raised in that kind of environment and we end up in a parenting situation with a partner who is mimicking that behaviour because that's what happened to them, sometimes they can do so because they actually don't know another way. So sometimes it can be a lack of skills and a lack of education. It can also be um, quite a significant commitment to the idea that behaviour is only shaped if you get aggressive around something. So there can be this belief that if you're not yelling, you're letting them get away with it. I have come to understand that discipline is actually what it means is to teach and to guide. But what we see as discipline or what I think most people see as discipline is punishment. But when you're punishing a child, you're not necessarily teaching them. Well, you're not teaching them because generally what happens is what psychologists call the upregulation of their fear system. And if I can just translate that for a moment <laughs> into normal you. language, what happens is when we get yelled at or when we're smacked or when there's some other aggressive force in the environment when we're kids, it pushes us into a survival, a survival response. It doesn't push us to reflect on our behaviour and decide whether that behaviour was appropriate for the circumstance. Now, ultimately, what discipline is being used as by parents is a form of shaping their children's behaviour. Most parents are really trying to do the right thing to show their children how to navigate the world. But when they do so using aggressive means of discipline, what they're actually doing is shutting down the part of the brain that learns which is the part that we actually really want open in children because we're trying to teach them. Um, So they're actually getting less of what they want and more of what they don't want. Because when you discipline from strategies that are aggressive or I guess more forceful in the environment, then what you can do to your child is raise your child's behaviour to a temperature where they're in survival mode, then what you're likely to get is a child that can't think through their actions because they're too busy simply trying to restore safety. I'm thinking about that adult that uses that form of discipline, yelling, aggressive, maybe smacking or something like that, and they're doing it from a place of love. I'm just wondering what they are remembering or repeating or what's happening in their brain that makes them believe that this is the right way to raise their kids. Because I firmly believe that the majority of parents absolutely love their children, no matter how they raise them, they're doing the best they can. So what's going on in that adult's head that makes them think this is the right way to approach discipline? So there's a couple of things that I think we need to 
add to this discussion to give some context to it. Firstly, there's the social conditioning um, and then there's generational conditioning. So I'm going to take you back to my grandparents. They raised my mum with corporal punishment. So she was sent out to the backyard to choose a switch and she was smacked with that switch. So we're talking about um, my grandparents were children of the Depression. And this is when children are raised to be seen and not heard. Children were raised to behave. And if you behaved, then you were a beautiful manifestation of the respectfulness of your parents. Thank you very much. And so essentially what was happening is the shaping of children was around making their parents look look good, but also making sure that their parents' experience was convenient. We have work to do. We're incredibly busy trying to provide for you. So shut up and stop misbehaving. Mum then raised us, my brother and I, when we were growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money. My parents worked full time. They were, and when we're talking about emotional resources, they had absolutely nothing left, working very long hours and then coming home to two kids that were opinionated possibly. And we were then smacked and yelled at. And I remember being chased around the house with an egg flip, um, a spatula uh, and a wooden spoon. So the what was happening then is if we're talking about the, someone's emotional temperature, an adult's emotional temperature, is they go back to that template of what they've known. So what my mum was looking for in that moment is to restore the easiness of the environment. We were being difficult. It was too much for her. So her brain went back to what was done to me to make me behave. I'm going to do that to my kids because I turned out all right. Now, obviously, this was the time before the internet where, and she didn't, certainly didn't have time to read parenting books. So she's doing the best that she can with what she had, the knowledge that she knew. And she's applying that when her emotional temperature is so high that she doesn't have the space to do anything differently. Now, I'm not even sure she has the emotional skills to reflect on that and think it was wrong. She's probably more likely to say, you and your brother are very successful, so tell me where I went wrong then. You know, really, if you turned out like this, I'd say that we did a pretty good job. Now, if you're looking practically, sure. But if she looks at all the therapy that I've had to do, then maybe <laughs> not. Um, but what... What she's simply doing is what she knows and she's reached the end of her rope. Then we jump a generation and you and I are now parents and you're watching Daniel do what he, his parents probably did something similar to what my parents did for me. But unlike me, who looks at my parents' parenting style and goes, yeah, probably not, um, Daniel is saying, I'm fine, thanks very much, so what's the problem in using it again? So what's happening is there's this context of once upon a time, we had the social conditioning of children are seen and not heard. And then we also had the authoritarian parenting style that goes with that, completely acceptable. In fact, the done thing. Yes. You were doing the right thing if you parented like that. Then we grow up a little, that's repeated at a generational level. 
more social conditioning that parents, uh, sorry, children should just behave. And then we finally land in this generation, the internet age, where we have access to so much more research and education around what's helpful for childhood development and what's not. And we're faced with making different decisions. So at the risk of my husband actually listening to this and getting cross with me for airing out, airing out dirty laundry. I'll give you a scenario that is relatively common in our house. So something will happen and the, the kids will have done something that is not great and has, and Daniel's upset and angry and he will yell at the kids. In that situation, what we're talking about is what psychologists call dysregulation. And now, whether you're aware of it or not, you're regulating yourself right now. Regulation or self-regulation is simply the act of us responding to the stimuli within us and the stimuli around us all the time. We have the skills to be able to temper our responses in a zone of comfort within that. When I say we, I mean not everyone. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's like the, the, the kind of collective we that I would hope we would grow up with the skills to be able to self-regulate, but we actually don't. When we're raised by parents who can't regulate for themselves, what happens is once their emotional temperature rises, it becomes chaos and that dysregulation of their responses can be projected onto the environment. So in that situation, what we get is this projected dysregulation. We have a responsibility as parents to rein ourselves in before we parent. So we have to stop for a moment in situations when we're we're triggered and parent ourselves, deal with our own stuff, take a few breaths, think it through, and then parent our children. If we take it back to someone who was yelled at as a child and finds themselves yelling at their child, but it's not what they want. They don't remember their childhood being yelled at as any way good or healthy. How does that parent break that cycle of repeating those actions with their kids? Mm. Oh, this is such an important one because often those parents uh, who look on upon their childhood and see wounds rather than see thriving will be incredibly hard on themselves for any part of their parenting that they perceive to be substandard. So um, I remember I was breastfeeding. Bennett must have been about eight months old because he'd just gotten teeth. Oh, dear. Yes, this is where we're (laughs) heading. And he bit my nipple for the first time and only time um, because I screamed. And we were home alone at the time. I think Nissa was – my Nissa, my wife, is a musician. She was at a gig. And – uh, his baby face crumpled and he cried like he had had a legitimate fright. It was the first time I'd he- heard an actual fearful cry and realised that I was the one that created that. Now, in that moment, every part of me wanted to run, actually, um, out of parenting, away from him, because I thought that I there I'd done it. 
in that moment, I'd done everything I swore I would never do. Then what happens is this thought pattern that is based in criticism rather than compassion. Now, outside of that environment and no longer as hormonal, that's when I was breastfeeding, (laughs) um, I'm able to put the Tetris pieces of that together in a different way so that because I was a child who was yelled at to the point where when I'm approaching Bennett in that situation, if there is a time where I'm at the end of my rope and I run the risk of raising my voice, it's not very often because I'm incredibly sensitive to it. But if my voice does go ever slightly higher, then the way I come back around is to first address the relationship with myself. I can't do anything with him genuinely until I address what's going on within me. So you might not see any of this happen. It's all intangible and it's happening internally. But there might be a microsecond where I'm like, regroup. It's okay, you haven't broken him. But you're not going to continue on this particular path that you're heading down. As in, you're not going to continue with this phrase at this volume. And so it's very quick to go, you're doing okay and you're super tired or yes, we're rushing, but you can do this a different way. A very quick internal conversation with myself that gives me the space to take a breath and to then come around and do it differently. The key is though, this is all in the context of a cushion of compassion. Wow, that was a lot of C's in one sentence. (laughs) But I am a fan of alliteration, but perhaps not that much. Um, (laughs) And this is the cushioning that I really want parents who have been yelled at as children to provide for themselves. Because one of the things that being yelled at as a child, when you're raised in an environment that is that abrasive, you start to question what it is that's valuable about you in the first place. What is it that actually makes you okay if you are constantly verbally, emotionally pummeled, then are you ever actually okay or are you only okay when you're being a good kid? And when you're being a good kid might be, you know, in the capacity of a whole child's experience, might be only a small part of the time because they're constantly told what they're not. So if you were that child and you're now a parent, I want you to be able to approach your own child with first compassion for yourself. Because you were the little kid that had to prove that they were okay. But if you approach parenting criticizing yourself to begin with, then you're going to be stuck in a situation where you'll end up dysregulated. You'll end up feeling like you're in survival mode because you can't do it perfectly. And that's going to impact what you can provide for your child. Let's just take a moment to really drill down on what's happening to a child when they're yelled at. Let's say they've dropped and broken a glass and you yell at them. What happens in that moment for that child? What are they feeling? What are they going through? Mm. One of the things that happens when a child is yelled at in that circumstance is they are bearing the brunt of the angry energy from their parent. The way I approach parenting is that my one and only job is to provide physical and psychological safety for my child. When you yell at a child for something like breaking a glass, first of all, I just want to take listeners to imagine if that's how you operated in the workplace. Imagine if you're wiping up your dishes 
um, before you go back to your office and you're doing it really quickly because you have to be back in time for a Zoom meeting and you accidentally drop the plate as you're trying to dry it before you put it away. And imagine if the coworker walking past you then yells at you for doing that. First of all, they'd probably be disciplined, or at least we hope that they would be disciplined. And I don't mean smacked. I mean, in the corporate (laughs) environment, they'd probably be given a warning by HR, or at least someone would talk to them and say, hey, you know, that's not appropriate. And yet in the home environment where things are a little more lax, what's happening for that child is you're activating the fear response in their brain for a mistake that they made. And so what you're doing is you're actually then pushing them away from a psychologically safe space and you're destroying that safety by making their little brains feel like they're not in a place where they're safe. This environment has now become emotionally dangerous and they need to do whatever they need to do to make it safe again. And usually in an authoritarian environment, that means um, complying. So we're after compliance. Authoritarian parents value compliance above everything else or, as they get a bit older, rebellion. Ah, and there we, there we get to the nub of it, don't we? Yes. The impact of, so if you're thinking that yelling is a good tool to use, if you're thinking that that response is therefore going to lead to the kind of behaviour you want, it may on that particular day, but what you're saying is that as they get older, it can translate into behaviour you absolutely don't want. Yelling can be a very cathartic experience, um, particularly when it's driven by fear or anger, which is often why we yell. We don't really care if someone's yelling joyfully, do we? (laughs) That also happens in my house. Um, Is that okay? It is if you're an adult with other adults and you're having a raucous time. When you're an adult yelling at a child, though, what happens is your fight-flight response is switched on. Fight-flight response comes with a whole series of physiological changes, and that energy in our body needs somewhere to go. So we actually feel very driven to use the energy. If we're thinking about 100,000 years ago, that energy would have been to run away from the danger or to fight the danger if we were backed into a corner or to freeze, shut down. So the energy has somewhere to go in. So as adults, it can be confusing if you yell at your child out of frustration, anger, fear. Sometimes we yell if we think our kids are unsafe and you feel all right after that. (laughs) The energy is actually gone somewhere. You feel like you can relax a bit after that. But what we can't ignore is the impact of that interaction. Just because you feel a bit better after yelling doesn't necessarily mean that your child will interpret it that way. We're still tasked with the responsibility to create an environment that is psychologically safe for our child. I think one of the arguments I have, even when, it, you know, the yelling isn't necessarily aggressive or if it's it's something that both parties are enjoying, for want of a better word, sometimes I think they do enjoy it, <laughs> My argument is if you're in a family unit, if you want to be part of a community, I feel like it's your responsibility to be aware of how unchecked emotions can affect other people. So yelling when it's cathartic for you, Mm. but it is upsetting for others, feels like a betrayal of that contract. It feels like, well, don't live with other people if you think it's okay just to 
expel your emotional shit and then let everybody else deal with it. Yeah. Actually, a great term is the contract because when we're talking about single parents, their contract is with, with themselves and with their child. But there's no other adult to necessarily reinforce their behaviour in the moment. So it's down to them to manage what is probably a very over overly demanding situation single parents, I just worship you. Um, I think that you do a remarkable job. But what happens is then they need to think, hold on a second, am I being who I want to be? They need to question that for themselves. When we have another adult in the environment, then sometimes that in that other adult can, not sometimes, but often, that other adult will make comments as to whether or not we are upholding that contract. What I want to say, though, is have we agreed on the contract? So good point. This is the thing. If, uh, for example, Nissa knows that I'm my wife knows that I'm incredibly sensitive to yelling because I was yelled at a lot as a child, and it's not something that I, I'm generally a fairly quiet person in the environment. I don't wrestle. She's the wrestle parent. Um, <laughs> we don't run around yelling. Bennett and I snuggle and read books. She runs around with him playing superheroes. But when the yelling rises in the environment, she knows there is an impact on me. When she's expressing frustration, it's very clear because we've had discussions before about the impact that has on me, about what I will and won't accept. Now, it's not just my way or the highway. It's that we've had genuine conversations about my psyche and the wounds I continue to carry and what feels okay for my child and what doesn't because of my own experience. We're on the same page with that and we keep having ongoing discussions around it. So I feel like the contract is shared. I think when there's two adults in an environment, have we had discussions around this? Have the adults in this system discussed how, what we value as parents, how we want to show up, what behaviours are acceptable and what's unacceptable and how we repair. Because I think if that discussion happens, then we have something to work from. Not every way we parent is something we've inherited from our own parents. Is it possible for someone to just be a authoritarian, yelly, sort of forceful parent without having that pattern inform the way they work. Yeah, absolutely. Pa parenting styles are not necessarily in our DNA. And I think that speaks to the number of children out there who were not raised by biological parents, but perhaps caregivers. It also doesn't mean that our caregivers shape the way we must be as a parent. The other thing to note is that we don't ever really know the impact of what becoming a parent is going to do to your fear system. Sometimes it can be so overwhelming and be so demanding of you emotionally that you don't know that even if you weren't yelled at as a child, you won't end up yelling at your child because you're at the end of your rope. I think what this speaks to, though, is that we need to understand that parenting is incredibly demanding emotionally and practically, and we're able to do it better when we can be aware of our own responses to the environment and manage those first before we then decide uh, or make a decision around a parenting choice in that moment. For those who've listened to this discussion and are thinking, hmm, I think I'm a bit yelly, I don't quite like it, 
how might they break those cycles? How might they break that pattern of behavior? Everything starts with awareness. We can't make any change in our behavior or in the way that we think or in the way that we manage our emotions unless we have awareness of that first. So the first thing that I would like listeners to practice doing is to simply just reflect. How were you parented? What was passed on to you? What were the patterns that you experienced? And how do you interpret those patterns today? You might have had patterns that we've discussed today that you actually interpreted as really healthy for you, um, that they didn't have a negative impact on you. Great. How does that inform your parenting today? And based on our conversation, is there anything you'd like to do differently? For people who are listening who are very conscious of the wounds that they carry from childhood and very conscious of how they don't want that to be replicated in their own parenting style. I want you to be conscious about not being perfectionistic. So sometimes we can wield awareness like it's a weapon against ourselves and say, well, I know exactly what was done to me. I better not do one single thing like that to my child. I just want to say that you don't need to be perfect in order to be an excellent parent. You don't need to be perfect to be a good parent. And you don't need to be perfect to be a good person. So take the awareness, sure. Know that it's there, but please use it gently in your decision making. The fact that you already know and have awareness around it means that you're probably 50% there. I don't know many parents who haven't yelled at their kids, but it's often quite rare and they often feel terrible after Mm. they've done it. How do we recover from that? When it does happen and it will, again, the first thing I want you to do is to go internally and to address your relationship with yourself. Um, For those of you that feel guilty like me, I see you and I know how awful it feels. I just want to say out loud so that you hear it and I want you to repeat this to yourself. You haven't broken your child. They're not irrevocably traumatized from that one instance or this instance here and there. The first thing that needs to come back is your relationship with yourself. You need to address that first. Check in with yourself. Remind yourself that you don't need to be perfect to be effective. The second thing is it actually gives us a chance to do some incredibly valuable modeling with our children. If children are ever going to have successful relationships out in the world, outside of the family system, they have to know how to repair. Because relationships that are successful are actually based on our skills of repairing. They're not based on our skills of just being in a love bubble and being perfect. Because no relationship is like that. No friendship is like that. And no intimate relationship is like that. And certainly no family relationship (laughs) that I know is like that. Um, So I want you to think about this situation, not as you breaking them, but instead you being able to show them what you do when you're human and sometimes messily so, and how you come back to reconnect after that. So it's your chance to then go and sit down with your child and explain to your child, you perhaps might say, I have said words like this before. I didn't like how I was speaking to you just now. Can we start over? This is not who I wanted to be. I don't like raising my voice. It doesn't make me feel good. Could I please say that to you again? Mm. And what you're showing your child is, A, even adults make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we can say sorry. It doesn't destroy the relationship. No one is good or bad as a result of it. And we can reconnect. What a great 
place to end. Beck, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Chef. That was our fourth episode in our series, Parenting the Parent with Dr. Rebecca Ray. For all our previous episodes, make sure you subscribe to Feed, Play, Love on the Listener app. We're starting to get into the nitty gritty of the things we have to deal with from our own childhood. So how do we manage all of those emotions while raising our own children? We're going to tackle that on our next episode of Parenting the Parent. Catch you then. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.